Hello and welcome to Putting People First, the podcast all about improving your employees' experience at work. I'm your host for this episode, Debbie. I'm a mental health first aider and an advocate at Sodexo for all things well-being and mental health. Today, we're going to be talking about an important topic for employees, HR and managers, mental health. Joining me today is Carl Bennett from Care First. Joining me today is Carl Bennett from Care First. Carl is a director at Care First, our partner for all things employee assistance and well-being. And they and he really understand how well-being can affect your employees and, of course, your organisation too. In this episode, we'll be talking about the future of mental health at work, including looking at some of the challenges that are being faced in our mental health today and how you can support your employees and also, as an employer, what you can be doing now to prepare for the future. Hi, Carl. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. How are you this morning? I'm very well, Debbie. Thank you for for having me. Wonderful. So thinking about everything mental health and uh, and the way in which we've been experienced in the world over the last 12 months and indeed with a view to looking forward to the future. We've all heard, Carl, that you know Britain is potentially in a mental health crisis at the moment. Um, depression and anxiety rates have doubled since the start of the pandemic with scaringly so one in five adults now suffering from moderate to severe depression and anxiety. Um, This is a really worrying time for a lot of people, you know, dealing with financial pressures, family pressures, work, and also perhaps long-term recovery effects from COVID-19 as well. So, Carl, you know, we've heard this phrase languishing uh, being used quite a lot at the moment. Um, And for, for those who are not experiencing symptoms of mental illness, they may not be mentally well either. And languishing is the term that people are using to describe that stage, which is a, a feeling of stagnation and, um, and emptiness, really. It's, it's between flourishing and depression uh, in terms of us not really functioning at full capacity. Carl, in your opinion, um, being our care first um, advocate and certainly within your experience as an employee at Care First as well, what do you think uh, we can learn to, to do to lessen these effects and, and to become you know, more aware of ourselves in terms of mental health and, uh, and bringing your whole self to work? I think it's important that we, we don't get caught up in the language um, of, of mental health is, is the first thing that I would say. Um, you, you will know as a, a mental health first aider that you know we all have mental health. Um, all of us. It's just whether that mental health is is good or not so good. Um, so when people hear that the, the, the terms mental illness, they associate that um, with with poor mental health. And the fact that we're talking so much about the, the the fact that we are on the precipice of a, a mental health pandemic uh, following the, um, the 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 COVID pandemic that we're experiencing at the moment, then we're almost expecting something. So it's uh, it, it, it's it's an expectation that our mental health will suffer. And I think when we start adding words like languishing um, into the, 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 the general phraseology that, that people are using when they talk about mental health, then that 
in itself means that, first of all, it's okay. It's all right to feel um, like I'm stagnating or I've got these feelings of emptiness. But but the reality is that some people may not be feeling that way. Um, And when they're not, that in itself causes potentially some issues because they're I, I think we, we we spoke a while ago about the fact that um, people were saying that that they feel that they should be feeling that way. You know, they've got mm. friends that are, are struggling in some way or another and they're not. And therefore, they're kind of experiencing what you might call some sort of survivor syndrome uh, around the fact that they're not um, that they're not feeling the way that, that their friends, family or colleagues are. So I think the language is, we have to be very careful about the language that that people use when they start talking about the mental health pandemic that, that that is potentially facing us. That isn't to take away the fact that I, from a personal perspective and from my experience with um, with Care First and the uh, the calls that we receive and the people that we speak to, that doesn't take away the fact that, as I say, I think that we are potentially on the precipice of something that will um, that will mean we will need more support and we will need to be providing that support to people that that have struggled with their mental um, well-being but I think we just need to be very careful that we don't say uh, in, in the same way that everybody thought well I'm going to get COVID you know, when we start talking about mental uh, about the COVID pandemic everybody had an assumption that they were going to catch it um, and therefore they put lots of measures people were some people were uh, were putting measures into place that were were highly unnecessary to ensure that they didn't experience um, or, or didn't catch uh, COVID. And I think that the, the same is true with, with mental health. There is an assumption that people are going to have mental illness um, at the end of this, uh, of the COVID pandemic. I think we've just got to be very careful that we say to people, it's okay if you do feel that your mental uh, well-being is, is struggling. Um, and these are the reasons that they might. But equally, if they don't, because there are people that have actually flourished as well during this uh, during this crisis, and we need to take into account the way that they might be feeling as well. Carl, that is a fantastic point, and I'm so glad that you brought that up as well. I know that we had mentioned that together before in a previous conversation, but I'm very conscious as a mental health first aider and, and certainly a mental health advocate at SEDEC, so that there are some colleagues and friends and family who are feeling like, oh, actually, I... They're almost feeling like they should not be feeling okay, and and there rises a little bit of anxiety because they don't feel, oh, is this normal? You know, am I feeling different? And so I think you're one hundred percent right in saying that being mindful about the language that we use and that term languishing. I do feel that we need to perhaps represent the other side of that, of course, which is the opposite to languishing, which is as you've very clearly stated, you know, flourishing and, you know, action and motivation and all those really empowering words that we can give ourselves in terms of mental health. And also, you know, to have these conversations being at the forefront now of most organisations, most businesses are, you know, it's it's become acceptable and we're starting to break that stigma of talking about mental health, which is crucially important, both for those who have, as you've described, 
good mental health and perhaps those who have mental ill health. But it's it's also about, I think, opening up a, a consciously supportive and um, honest conversation about how we feel and what we're experiencing as humans. Because, of course, we bring our whole selves to work. We like to think that work and home is separate. But as the lines become have become blurred over the last 12 months and potentially with a suggestion of a hybrid working role now, for a lot of individuals, we are going to continue to see those lines becoming more and more blurred. And I think addressing ourselves as, as a whole um, and as our well-being for both mental and physical health as a whole, because, of course, our heads are not separate to our bodies, um, you know, continuing those conversations in a supported and open environment. I, I really believe that this can change that stigma attached to mental health and, and really open it up to creating a culture for, you know, long-standing supported mental health across all organisations. And just thinking about other things for a moment, Carl, that potentially can affect our mental health, obviously the financial impact of COVID, you know, we're continuing to see the effects on, on many people's finances, which we all know can cause additional stresses. Um, you've also got pressures on working parents. I mean, I take my hat off to those many, many individuals who over the last 12 months have had the pleasure of homeschooling and, and all of those things that, that everyone's experienced. But, you know, again, with the return to schools and, and indeed with parents, you know, coping with all of those changes, the concerns about education for their children and, and indeed children falling behind academically is definitely on the rise as well. And of course, you know, returning to office, the anxiety of returning to the office and, and what that might mean for you as an individual is, is perfectly, you know, normal for you to feel um, fearful of change and nervous of change. And, and it's another change that we're going through, um, you know, and, and to see the statistic of 65% of employees are potentially anxious about going back to the office. You know, as, as Care First, Carl, and, and as an employee of Care First, as I'm an employee of Sodexo, um, have you had any sort of raise in, um, in awareness about these types of anxieties that are presenting themselves in, in terms of the support that you're offering to employees of organisations through your Care First, um, you know, counselling services, and in turn, you as, a, as an employee within your organisation of Care First, have you noticed any trends emerging across yeah, I mean, I, I can answer that question from three perspectives, I suppose, one of which is um, as, as as an employer, um, another one uh, in, in the way that you say is as, as an employee, uh, and then also the calls that we're getting from um, from. Uh, various different organisations that we uh, support at Care First. And there are many, many thousands, tens of thousands of uh, organisations that we look after. So um, that kind of demonstrates to us the trends that, that, that people are feeling um, about coming back into the workplace. And, and what I would say is that there is not one size fits all. And I suppose that's the same throughout all of this. And I'm, I think I'm going to bore myself by saying that, Debbie, but, but it, it, there isn't one particular the trend. Yes, I appreciate that 65% of uh, employees are anxious about going back to the workplace. I think that, that was a, a study that Bupa um, mm -hmm. did. Um, and, and 
while I don't disagree with that, I think that there was um, an equal number of people that were anxious about working from home, maybe even more. Um, so it, it, it's really just the reverse of, 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 of things that are happening um, a, a year or so ago. And it's not around the, the just necessarily the issue of going back to, to the workplace. It's the issue of change, of something different. Um, and we all feel anxious, or many of us feel anxious when we go through um, particular stages of change within our personal and, and our working lives. Mm-hmm. One of the main things that we, uh, we we talk about at Care First is exactly that. You know, the highest the, the issues that we uh, that we we see most of are where people are, are experiencing issues of change. That is at home or in the workplace. So, in the same way as people were anxious about the fact that they're going to have to work from home, that they're going to have to uh, balance uh, homeschooling with running a family, with doing uh, work from nine to five or whatever uh, times that might be, that they're equally anxious now about returning to the workplace because it's different. It's different to what they've experienced. I think we've all become experts in in the situation that we find ourselves in right now. And the calls that we get into care first – suggest exactly the same things that people are anxious about not what they're going into but what they're leaving behind and that was the same as what we 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 were hearing when people um were were starting to work from home carl that's again such a brilliant point and you know the idea of of change can be scary i think throughout all of our lives but but to have been forced into a collective situation where, you know, we're having a, a shared human experience and to continue to try and function as, you know, working parents, as working individuals. And, and as you've highlighted there, there are some people who are actually quite grateful to have that change and, and a return to a new normal, as I like to call it. I know some people call it back to normal or future normal. A new normal is fine for me, but uh, there are some individuals who have not enjoyed being you know at home and working from home and really require that uh, community and you know touching base with colleagues within the office and I think um, the change for whether it's you know the initial change that we experienced or whether it's this additional change that period that we're going through now it is going to throw up those anxieties but as you've said as well it's you know, it's also people who potentially don't want to go back to the office full time, who have enjoyed a slightly more balanced and open way of living in terms of, you know, being able to not have that commute to work in the morning, you know, having a little bit a slower pace in their lives. Um, I think, you know, as you highlighted earlier in the conversation, it's really important to recognise that this hasn't been awful for everybody and actually can potentially have improved some people's mental health, you know, in terms of um, giving them a little bit more space and uh, and time within their own day. You know, let's let's talk. Let's talk for a moment about what the future of mental health looks like. Potentially. I was just, just going to say, Debbie. Um, I think people think they don't want to go back to work. I think that that's one of the things that I'm hearing a lot. So the people that that, that work within my team mm. are saying that they can't imagine what it would be like coming back into the office. That you know, people have, have canvassed for for years in lots of different organisations to work a hybrid way of working. So organisations that are predominantly office based, the, the 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 people within that are saying, "I'd love to be able to work from home." We all would because you yeah. think of the benefits that that might give to working um, to, 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 
to your working day. The fact that you can you know, answer the door if you've got if you've got deliveries, you don't have to ask a neighbour to do it, or mm. you've got pets and you need to look after those. And let's not forget, people's lives have changed. So some people have got uh, new arrivals. Um, some of those being children. Some of those being pets. Um, and they're anxious about the changes that 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 going back into to to work might be for them there is no new normal i don't mm-hmm. sorry there is no going back to normal i don't mm-hmm. think i think we are we are going back to a situation which is different and that's where the anxiety and the change comes into people because it's not a case of having been on a holiday for a couple of weeks or even longer in in some instances uh, or being on illness and then going back into the workplace because as you say this is collective everybody's been going through the same thing if you've been away for a short period of time you slot back into things quite easily because your life may have changed a bit but it hasn't changed to the extent that nearly 18 months worth of being away from the workplace will have meant that your work and home life will have done so i think actually while it is super scary going into something that is uh, that seems so daunting now you know it's it's real change it's going back to something that is brand new mm. you, doing that feeling scared about those kind of things it's important that we remember that um because this is collective that organizations are being really flexible um that we are we're all understanding the same issues you know we are many of us in 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 the same place certainly within that working environment and there will be people within that working environment that need to look at ways that they that they work to be able to support their home lives and i think you they're going to find that organizations are predominantly helpful um, in in being able to make sure that their their work and their home lives do work for them. So the scary element of it, um, while it's there, other people are feeling that as well. Um, And I think that's that's something we just got to to remember that that this isn't going back to normal. There is no no new normal. This is brand spanking new for everybody. Mm. And you're absolutely right in terms of you know, it is a new normal and and there are always going to be people who are fearful of change and indeed, you know, may have really experienced quite a lot of traumatic change initially, Um, you know, with the moving and working from home, you know, there's so many things that have affected people's lives over the last 12 to 18 months. And I I think you're 100% right in, in what you've said there about employers in terms of their being more supportive, their being more flexible. You know, what we're hearing um, at Sodexo from a lot of our clients is that, you know, we really want to help and support our employees. We recognise that well-being and mental health in particular is a huge subject. And, you know, it's unprecedented. Never before have we ever had this really powerful opportunity to open these conversations about mental health in a really, you know, in in the um, sort of employer marketplace. I mean, you know, there are there was that old adage where you would paint your face on, you'd paint your mask on, you'd put your work head on and you'd get yourself into the office. Those times have gone. Mm. And as you said quite, you know, quite well, Carl, this there's no going back. There's only looking to the future. Um, and in terms of how employers and, you know, how they can support employees. And, and we do have, you know, a responsibility as employees and employers to support each other, but to continue 
to evolve with these subjects of mental health and how, you know, we can put things in place to help and support um, both, you know, colleagues, senior management, HR, you know, specialists, everybody, um, you know, kind of from your CEO down to, um, to, to anyone. You know, we are humans having this collectively shared experience. And let's face it, we're human first and everything else comes second. Um, and I think that's that's quite um, an important position to understand in terms of, um, you know, how employers can look to support their employees over, you know, the sort of next 6, 12, 18 months, or, or it feels like it could be a million years at this stage. Um, you know, the phrase resilience is something that we're hearing a lot about, Carl, at the moment, you know, and, you know, resilience in terms of the ability to enable you as a, as a human to bounce back from adversity, to, to bounce back from, you know, trauma and stress and all of those other really emotive words that we use to describe um, different things that can affect your mental health. Um, we really do think, certainly we're seeing as a, as a pattern that mental health resilience, you know, is going to become more and more important. Um, are there any things that you feel um, from a, you know, an EAP provider and a care first perspective that employers can do to help strengthen um, that support for their employees in terms of, you know, improving their emotional resilience and enabling uh, those employees to empower themselves and, you know, to take back more control of their of their mental mental health um, over the next sort of, you know, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the thing I would say, Debbie, is that um, resilience is, is, is something that, that you have to do um, yourself. Um, because we are, you know, as you say, it, start, it starts with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the things that we, we talk to people about at, at, at Care First is, is when we're talking about being resilient, is, is actually taking control. And I know I speak about this, this aspect a lot, but there is nothing that is, yeah, there's not a lot better than being able to take control of the things um, that you see in front of you that will help support your resilience. Because if you're in control, of the things uh, within your life, then the, the, the aspect of needing to be resilient is reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would say with going back into, uh, into the workplace or considering going back into the workplace and the anxieties that people may be experiencing around that, the first thing they need to be doing is recognising what is it about that, um, uh, about going back into the workplace that is causing them the issues that they might be experiencing or feeling. And then talking to people about it don't be afraid to talk to people about the way that you feel whether that's friends family or colleagues whether it's your boss from the CEO down exactly as you say Debbie and and you're right people need to be talking to people about the way that they feel because the worst thing you can do is just leave it because if you leave things and you're not talking about it, you're bottling it up, it stagnates and it becomes worse. And a small issue can escalate out of control very, very quickly. And that's when resilience is needed. You need that resilience then to, to bounce back from those situations. But in the but, but in, in the best way of thinking, if you can start taking control of the things that are causing you anxiety, then it may stop you needing to use some of the elements of, of your resilience that, that, that we're talking about now. So if that's about... Um, the, the times that you work or the way that you work or or, or, or things that, that the way that you feel 
All of those things need to be discussed because if you're talking about them, then they're out there. And actually, there's nothing better you can do than talk to people. If you don't feel comfortable speaking to the people that I've just described, many organisations have uh, mental health first aiders in people like you, uh, Debbie, that they can talk talk through um, their feelings about. Um, and you can signpost them into where there may be elements of support within that organisation. All the organisations we work, We've obviously put uh, an employee assistance program into place. That's what we do. We provide access to counsellors 24 hours of every day. So if people want to speak to a professional, then they should speak to their, uh, their manager um, or, or, or friends and colleagues about the way that they can about the, the, the way that they can access the services that that organization might have in place for them. And it might not mean picking up the phone and speaking to a counselor because that feels quite daunting yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think when people think about speaking to a counselor, they think, goodness, have I got to this point? Have yeah. I got to the point that I need to speak to a counselor about the way that I'm feeling? Well, that's because there is a preconception around what counsellors do I think and, and yes. counsellors only deal with the high level um, high anxiety um, uh, or, 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 or mental health issues the reality is is that a counsellor is there to help you find the control um, within your working or your personal life a one-off conversation with somebody that has knowledge and experience that can give you coping mechanisms and strategies that puts you back in control if you don't want to speak to your boss because you know what they're going to say and they always work this way and actually there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it speak with a counsellor but you don't have to do that because there's lots of material out there uh, that people have access to as well Um, the 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 internet is full of some good and some not so good information but if you're going to a a professional uh, resource like the NHS or 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 one of those um, uh, professional uh, organisations then they're going to be able to to give you solid information that will allow you to be able to have the conversations that you feel you need to have. And if you're having those conversations, you're in control. You know, the first thing, whenever I talk to people about using a service like Care First, Debbie, what I say to them is you'll often feel this kind of feeling of, of anxiety that we, we all know and, and, and have experienced, that kind of, you know, deep breaths, the, 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 yeah. the heart rate increasing, the sweaty palms, sweaty forehead, kind of not being able to think quite straightly. And we, we know that that's anxiety. That's a fight or flight aspect of us that, 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 that we all know. Mm. And what, what I say is that that simply is, is often a lack of control. What do I do around this situation? Something is in front of you that you don't feel in control of. The best thing to do to take control is pick up the phone or have a conversation. Because the minute you do that, you are taking control. And if you're taking control of something, then you're on you're on the path to, 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 to needing all the tools that you need to be able to build your resilience, to be able to work a happier and healthier working and personal life. That's absolutely true, Carl. And I'm so I'm so glad that you have raised that point about how important talking is and also the point about, you know, retaining and taking back control, because you're 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 absolutely correct in terms of, you know, anxiety led general anxiety, which we're seeing very much on the rise, you know, is that it is that sense of, you know, you, it is beyond your control. And, and that in itself is anxiety driven, because, of course, if you don't 
don't feel empowered, if you don't feel able to make a change, if you feel that the changes are happening to you and you are reacting to those changes rather than you are actually in control of them, that's often, of course, where the anxiety comes from. And, you know, for those individuals who perhaps have never experienced anxiety before or are not experiencing, you know, um, severe anxiety and severe depression, but it might be very um, a very quiet level. It might be something that they don't have uh, self-awareness about yet. So there are, they just have a feeling, but they don't understand what that feeling is or where it's coming from. You know, to be able to talk and share that information with a colleague, a manager, a HR person, a counsellor, it can be the bravest and the most scariest thing you ever do for yourself is to reach out and say, actually, I just need someone I just need someone. And, you know, in terms of having those conversations, to be able to verbalize your fears, your anxieties, if you can, really does, I think, help to unload that burden that you're that you're mentally struggling with. Because we all know when we're quite anxious, we will ruminate on those negative thoughts. And, and then you end up with a negative downward spiral, which, you know, you're continuing this pattern of conversation within you, which is, Oh, I'm not sure what to do. I can't help myself. I don't know what to do. And that can often exacerbate a sense of anxiety and lead to mild depression, as, as we all know the statistics are showing us. But if we can break that pattern of cycle by having employers and your colleagues, you know, raise these issues of mental health awareness, to raise these issues of having mental health first aiders within your organizations, to have an EAP, which, you know, simply offers your employees the opportunity to have a you know an open honest conversation with somebody who will be unaffected by what they're sharing because that's also something that can be quite scary mm-hmm. isn't it there if it you is. share with somebody who you feel may i mean let's face it you're probably already judging yourself within that conversation in your head and so to then be brave enough to share that and to have that conversation with an individual that you may have to see every day in your working environment you know that can be quite scary too because you worry that they they will judge you in turn and so I think that's why you know these types of conversations about empowering you as individuals to take back that control of your mental health and to deconstruct the stigma that's attached to the perception the the incorrect perception of what mental health truly is Um, that's why I think these conversations are so powerful and from an employer perspective to be able to equip your staff with that, with those relevant tools and skills to, you know, empower themselves. I mean, that often leads to a sense of belonging, a sense of validation and, you know, a, a sense of not feeling like you have to hide from this anymore. We've all got experience of when talking to people has made us feel better, mm. haven't we? You know, we even from 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 childhood right right up through to to, to the lofty age that certainly I feel at the moment. <laughs> um, we, we we've all got those experiences of when we've asked for something we've not wanted to, or we've, we've you know we've asked to stay at a friend's house when we were younger, or we've asked um, we've asked our partners if we can um, if we can. Uh, you know, 
go somewhere or do something and and they've said yeah that would be great and you can spend ages ruminating and worry about worrying about what people might say and yet when you ask the question and you get the response either that you want or you don't want at least you've asked it it's off your chest and i think one of the points that you raised there which which i just wanted to to capture was the fact that sometimes we have conversations with people and we don't get the answers that we want or that we expect but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a good thing to ask the question i think that's the thing that we talk to people that contact care first um uh, about is the fact that you're going to contact us and you're going to be challenged in in some of the things that you've said and some of the things that you've done but actually you're in a conversation you're talking with somebody and maybe you're evaluating or looking through the things that you've done in the past or your choices um in, in the future maybe and being able to actually have a conversation and speak with somebody impartially and honestly about the way that you're feeling is really really rewarding i know i've asked my um my my wife questions on on numbers of occasions and i'm expecting to get a particular answer she says something different and that's fine we'll obviously go with what she says but it does mean that i've asked the question and once i've asked it i'm not thinking about it anymore the ripple effect that we know happens with these types of things it can be both positive and negative you know we've all seen how quickly negativity can spread but actually you know if you think in terms of you know the positive action of of taking that step to be talking about mental health what i hope for the future and certainly um for employees and employers and colleagues and just all of us humans really is that we can create that ripple effect from our own ability to be able to open these conversations you know so how often do you ask a colleague you know how they are and how often do you actually listen for that answer how often do you ask yourself how you are how often do you check in with your own you know personal well-being um and listen to the voice that tells you really how you're feeling today rather than the mask that we put on to go into the office on a on a regular basis you know and i think that all of those types of positive changes that we can see happening within the frame of of mental health awareness starts as you very clearly put it originally from that initial talking from that conversation you know when we when we think about employees you know over the next 12 months and and employers what they can do to help and support and to create to cultivate this this culture of inclusivity and acceptance um and enabling staff to feel empowered you know when we look at anxiety led normal things that we do so you know sort of re-entry anxiety as they as they're called um commuting on a crowded tube even just being in an office with other people you know that office environment has changed you may have had a coffee with your with your colleague in the kitchen or you know had a glass of water at the local water cooler in your offices and had a chat now you're wearing masks now you have to be further apart so all of these things can cause additional stress and a little bit of uh, of, ang- of anxiety um in terms of you know returning to the office car from from your opinion um as you know as care first and and as a you know your eap provider of choice for us here at, at sedexo can you shine a light on what type of support do you feel employers can help to introduce to continue to facilitate that empowering conversation about you know well-being um and mental health in particular 
Um, yeah, normalising is the is the key there. Trying to make it normal to have conversations in the way that you've just described, Debbie, which is it's okay to 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 have a conversation about the way that you're feeling, and remembering that it doesn't have to be a big conversation. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be around mental health or anxiety or low to moderate levels of of depression or or, or whatever else we might want to call it. The reality is, if people are talking um, and they're talking about the way that they feel, even at a very low level, um, then they're, they're they're talking. And early intervention is is the key. Um, with regards to what employers can do to support all of the impacts of, of mental well-being within the workplace. We're receiving calls at Care First around lots of different things, but nothing uh, to, to do specifically with COVID, but they're nothing different to the kind of things that we might be experiencing generally anyway. We're just getting more of them. So people are still calling us specifically around um, the stress um, and anxiety issues around COVID. They're talking about isolation, around depression, around worries to do with long COVID and the changes within the workplace, anxieties or fear of the virus because they don't know whether people are being straightforward with them with regards to the news reports that they read or that, that, that they watch or listen to. And, and the truth around that is we have to be very careful around the things that we do listen to as well. Um, my parents, have a habit um, of watching the news on loop. They yeah. are more expert in COVID and the issues of the day than I think even the Prime Minister probably, um, <laughs> because they certainly tell me about it every uh, every time that I speak with them. So we have to be careful that we uh, that we limit um, the amount that we watch or that we listen to. Mm-hmm. That we don't necessarily believe everything that we're watching, listening, uh, or reading as well. And as far as employers are concerned, make the ability for people to talk easy. If you're having Zoom calls still, then talk just about the way that people are feeling. Don't have meetings about work all the time. Sometimes just ring your colleague or, or Zoom a friend and just say, how are you feeling? How's it going today? Everything okay? Because otherwise we end up not talking to people because we think we're going to enter into a conversation around mental well-being. And if we're doing that, then actually we're not going to pick up on the little things where people might be struggling. If you can pick things up early, this early intervention thing that I was talking about a moment ago, then you're going to stop a lot of the concerns and anxiety that people might be experiencing. And if you're an employer, that's hugely beneficial because actually you're addressing the issues that people might have before they become issues that might impact them and might impact you as an organisation as well. Yeah. You are absolutely right. And I love the point that you made about your parents, Carl. And of course, you know, we when we think about well-being, well-being is a huge topic. It has a far and wide reaching range. But ultimately, everything that you expose yourself to, you expose your body to, you expose your mind to, everything that you put into your body, everything that you listen to, everything that you read on social media, all of these elements affect how your perception is shaped in terms of your opinion of the world, your your opinion of what's happening to you. And of course, we've we've seen, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about social media and uh, 
and it's on the rise and in terms of misrepresented news again thinking about your parents and talking you know listening to a long-term effects of covid but actually your your responsibility for your own self-well-being is is everything that you expose yourself to and that includes of course what you expose yourself to in the workplace you know there was an old adage that said you know negativity spread much quicker than positivity and and I, I had a, a job many moons ago now, Carl, where you were not allowed. You were told you were not allowed to be negative in the office, um, and of course, that in itself is, is not something that I would advocate at all. You know, but your point about starting those conversations, about having a safe space to talk about anything, and also not just thinking about in terms of uh, poor mental health. But also, what about these, you know, joyful celebrations that we're hearing from from people about positive steps they've taken with their mental health? You know, they may have been feeling at the beginning of lockdown, actually quite scared, quite anxious, quite nervous, not sure if they're going to perhaps hold on to their jobs or indeed, you know, financial implications that, that can arise from that. And actually, what they've done is prove to themselves that everything is going to be OK. They are OK. They've looked after themselves. They've looked looked after their families and loved ones their organizations have looked after them in terms of as you said you know not having conversations just about work all of these things you know should also be celebrated and we and I really feel quite passionately about both sides of mental health in terms of the positive statements that we can make to encourage others who potentially aren't feeling that positive at the moment um, right. you know there's always that sense I find with any type of mental health topic that you need to retain a, a sense of hope um, that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel that you can return to a, a strong place of mental health um, but I firmly agree 100% with you know with your comment on let's just talk about it also be and be aware of the conversations that you're having is the, the, the thing to be aware of is that not everybody feels the same way Debbie and, mm. and 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 I think if you have a responsibility as a listener as well as a talker um and yeah. if you're talking about things and how great things are and you you managed to get out into the garden today because isn't the weather fantastic and you got up early and the sun was shining and mm. And that person that you're speaking to might not have the ability to do that. They might yeah. be going through things that you're not going through, that you can't comprehend that you're going through. So be aware of the people that you're talking to mm -hmm. and the impact of the things that you're saying on that person. It's fantastic to be positive. And we should constantly strive to be as positive, as positive as we possibly can be, although maybe not as not in the way that your previous employer has, has suggested <laughs> that, they, that, that you do it. But I think it's just about being self-aware, being aware of the person that you're speaking to. You're never going to be able to uh, account for all their circumstances because people don't always say the things that are impacting them um, in any particular way. But I think it's just very, you have to be conscious, a conscious listener and a conscious talker of the people that you're talking with and the circumstances that they might be in that you couldn't even comprehend. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I think we often, you know, there is a, a phrase which is where we often listen to reply. Um, and in terms of, you know, showing empathy to colleagues and families and friends, 
it is about being consciously aware of, of what you're sharing. And actually also when you are having those conversations with your colleagues and indeed with even with your managers, because let's not face it, you know, HR and, and business leaders have been looking after employees and themselves and their families and still having the same collective shared human experience that we've all had. And so, you know, in terms of stress and burnout um, for those individuals, who looks after them? And, you know, again, thinking about a human-led experience and, and thinking about, a, you know, a collective conscious awareness about, you know, empathy and open conversations. It, it needs to be, I feel, for, for all employers and all employees, this should be across the board. It should be, you know, it doesn't matter what gender you are, what age you are, what position you might hold within your organisation. We're human first and everything else comes next and of course when I think if you start to to frame it in that way then hopefully as as organizations what you begin to see appearing is this culture of of talking of of actually you know taking the time ask how you are ask ask twice if you need to because you know that that initial answer that you've got from that colleague is you know the answer they think they should give you and mm-hmm. I often do, Carl, you know, I have colleagues in Sodexo where, and they'll tell you, I'll, I'll often ask them twice how they are, because I, the first answer probably wasn't the real one. And, <laughs> and I'm and in, and that's only from a place of, um, you know, tell me how you are, you know, and tell me what you're experiencing. And, and your point about, um, you know, being mindful of, of, of being overly positive, being mindful of this kind of slightly toxic, oh, chin up you'll be all right, pull yourself together, all of those really unhelpful phrases that we used to hear. Um, I firmly believe that they have been removed, certainly from the conversations that we're having um, in the culture that's been created at Sodexo. But I would hope that that can extend to other organisations and you remove those kind of disposable, um, irrelevant statements that, that people were used to having, which really suppressed um, their ability to express how they were feeling truly and, you know, led to a culture of shutting down, which, of course, we know is not what you need to be doing. You know, if, if we need to encourage um, this culture of not oversharing because, of course, some people don't like that, um, but it's being mindfully aware of, of, of how you're communicating with yourself and also with your colleagues, uh, with HR managers, with senior leaders, you know, with with everyone, because, you know, we are all human first. And I know that a lot of organisations at the moment are looking at well-being plans and how can we, you know, I think the biggest question is sometimes, Carl, I don't know if you are experiencing this, is we know about the why, but it's the how that we now need to work on. Mm. And, you know, in terms of offering support services, you know, putting specific initiatives in place like mental health, health first aiders, like employee assistance programs, you know, educating everyone on how to identify potential changes in behaviour that might show signs of mental health. Um, you know, I know that within your um, your offering, there is a specific area to support line managers, for example. You know, how to identify within their own teams if they have an individual that's struggling but does not feel capable of verbalising it. 
you know, and how do you have those conversations? You know, they are, they're tough conversations, aren't they, Carl? I mean, would you have any advice for anybody um, who is potentially, you know, observing a colleague or, or um, a team member that, that may be struggling? How, how would they go about approaching that conversation? You know, it's a difficult one. I think it is difficult. We, we, as managers, you're you're constantly trying to to juggle the way that people will deal with certain certain things, and and sometimes it's about just sticking to the message actually, and and accepting that people do will deal with things in different ways because we all do. That's in, inherent in, in in all of us, and I think managers will, will will sometimes get into the habit of trying to please certain people by changing the way that that they will deliver a piece of news to that person as opposed to to somebody else. The message message is exactly the same, but they'll try and deliver it in a way that they feel is going to match that person. And 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 you know there are lots of NLP techniques that you know we could all go through around matching and mirroring. You know all of that 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 kind of stuff, but. In reality, as a manager, certainly in times like this, we have to be conscious that the message is what the message is. And then you have to be able to support that person after the message is given. The impact on that individual will be different to other people um, within the office. And that, that that's that's often indicted. You know, you're never going to get people that all react the same way to the same piece of uh, news or guidance, whether that's coming back into the workplace or adopting a hybrid way of working. Um, and, and I know we get calls from managers that say, you know, this person's going to be fine with it, but this person isn't. So how do I broach it with them? And, and, and it's very difficult. You've got to stick with the message, give the people the information that they need, and then support them afterwards. When you've given them the news, talk to them about how it might impact them. Allow them to give you the, the, the way so that it's impacting them rather than you assuming that you know how people will react to a situation or how it's going to impact them you know assumptions are terrible thing in any environment um and particularly when you're talking to somebody that might impact them in 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 quite a significant way either at home uh, or in, or in the workplace and would you say i mean that's that's a great point in, in terms of keeping it simple would you say carl that in your experience you know it is about keeping the message simple it is about keeping the message clear so then you can you can enable staff and empower staff to then have those open conversations with their managers and would you you know dare dare i say that perhaps sometimes we you know overcomplicate these solutions we we think too much we try and as you've very rightly pointed out try and, and think of everybody's reaction and, and think of everybody, you know, and try and solve that before it actually happens. But the truth of it, as, as you've said, would you say is to keep the message consistent and simple, but have an open-ended conversation with a, a safe opportunity for those employees who do need a continued support to feel encouraged to discuss it. Would you say that's, you know, strong advice? Yeah, it, it, it is. You've got to have an open conversation when I say you know keep things straight and to, to, to the point you know I don't mean deliver the news and then off you go um, <laughs> you, you've got to be able to accept that people will react to things differently just don't try and preempt that mm. um, it, it's the the other thing I would say is that if you can if it is possible and it isn't always 
try and work with your teams as well in understanding what would work for them. If you can involve people in the decisions that are impacting them, that's a really important thing for a manager to be able to do. Because if you're living in an environment where decisions are made about you and you're not consulted or it's not it's not suggested that things are going to happen and things come as a surprise constantly then you're entering your workday every day thinking what's going to happen today and that's not that's not a good way to be feeling so if you can involve people in the conversations that you're happening that you're having if you can let people know within your teams the conversations that you're having and the potential outcomes positive and negative uh, where you can then that's always really positive as well surprising people with things that they weren't expecting, particularly in an environment where we don't know whether we're going to be able to go on holiday um, in, in a month's time or not. You don't want to add to those feelings of, uh, of a lack of control around a situation. So involve people as much as it is appropriate to be able to do. And that's brilliant because that actually, you know, brings us back to the initial point that you and I started to talk about when we when we discussed mental health at the beginning of this podcast is, you know, your mental health can be affected by a sense of lack of control. And so, you know, as you've so beautifully explained it there, you know, when you are working with teams as a, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of the individuals that are responsible for teams, you know, are absolutely committed to ensuring that they are, you know, supporting and having these open conversations. But I always think it's really great to just remind those individuals as well that they are also part of that team. You know, in terms of sort of, you know, senior leaders and and, and HR members, we are hearing, you know, a lot of talk about um, stress and burnout for those individuals because they are so focused on their teams and ensuring their well-being. They're almost sometimes, not everyone, but sometimes can be neglecting their own. And of course, you know, it's about, I guess you'd agree, Carl, it's about reminding them to that they are human too. They are human first. Um, they have responsibility to put themselves first. There is that old adage, dare I, dare I, you know, sort of say it that you can't give from an empty cup. Um, you know, it's something that's really um, been highlighted over these last few months. And I wondered if there was anything, you know, obviously, given that you are um, a director for Care First, and I'm sure that there are, you know, individuals in your teams that that you've been supporting. And so from your own personal perspective, Carl, is there any um, other advice or encouragement that that you could share in terms of how you've managed your own um, sort of personal well-being and mental health from a perspective as a as a senior leader, but also you know to to return or to continue yourself with that with that um, you know mental health on a on a positive level that you could share with us? Yeah, I think the the the, the thing that I've thought to myself is is everything in this particular period is is transient that that mm. you, you can't you can't imagine that the circumstance that you are in right now is the way it's going to be forever mm. um and if you do feel that way then actually you're you're 
potentially heading to a situation where you're going to have to make some fairly serious life decisions um, around your job or, or your home lifestyle or whatever that might be. So if you can keep things, and this is terrible because we don't, you know, we need to live our lives, but actually we need to live our lives at the moment in a fairly temporary way with regards to our working patterns and our home, uh, our home patterns, the way that we are, you know, it's a beautiful day uh, today here in, in Gloucester. Um, and, and I could potentially go downstairs and work outside and, and, and think this is fantastic. This is a great way of living, but I have to remember that this is a temporary measure. This is for right now and not for potentially in the future, because we are in a very, very unusual situation, but it's very easy to get caught up in, 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 in the situation that we're in. You know, I think, well, actually I could work like this and now I'm resentful of my organization because they're never going to let me do this. Or And, and so th that resentment builds and you can become quite angry and then you don't want to work for that organization and you end up putting yourself into a situation where, where you're resenting doing anything you do, which isn't sat out in the sunshine, working on your laptop. Right. So keep reminding yourself that the situation that you're in is temporary. The other thing that I would say, uh, Debbie, and I, I, I wanted to say this earlier as well, because I think it's really important. When we talk about mental health and the mental health pandemic that we are experiencing, we have to remember that there is a responsibility on ourselves to look after our own uh, emotional, physical um, and mental well-being. You, you, you said that quite rightly just a few moments ago. But knowing that you, you have that responsibility on yourself, don't assume that every feeling you've got is one of mental, and, uh, mental illness. <laughs> my, my fear uh, in going forwards, and I, I, I think I, I speak for many people within the, the the mental health environment, is that because people are assuming that every feeling that they get is a, a precursor to mental uh, to a mental illness, uh, is that they will automatically seek the support of a mental health professional whether that's going to the GP and being referred, whether it's speaking uh, to an EAP or mental health community or whoever it might be, because the assumption is the way that you're feeling is automatically a mental illness and therefore you need specialist support. Yeah. The reality is, is there are many, many tools out there that people can use to recognise whether what they're experiencing is unusual in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Many of us are experiencing different moods and different feelings right now, and that's to be expected. That's quite normal to feel that way. And it certainly doesn't mean that you're experiencing uh, mental, uh, mental illness. If we can talk to our friends and our family, our colleagues, they know us. They'll help us understand whether this is unusual or whether we do need to seek support. But if we're doing it automatically, if it's our if our if it's our first action to go and look for that mental health support, then the, the issues that that could um, could 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 
end up meaning yeah. is that the the drain on the mental health resource that is available to people is significantly reduced now i'm not saying that people shouldn't seek support if they need it but i am saying please please speak to people speak to people before you make the decision that actually you need to go and get professional help around the, the ways that you're feeling because yeah. if everybody does that then there is a finite level of support available for people we're hearing now that um, numbers of people that, that are being referred into uh, mental health uh, support within uh, within our local area um, was probably about four referrals a week. That's currently at 42 referrals a wow. week. So we can see the levels of need that those people that really need it are going to need to, to, to have access to. Now, there is a finite level of resource available for people. And that's why I'm saying, please talk to people. Please remain open about explaining the way that you're feeling and check, is this something that needs support or is this something that I can help myself in supporting? Can I pick up the phone and speak to an EAP? Can I download an app that might be available? We've got an app that people can use. Um, are there other um, app-based tools or web-based services that might be able to give people coping mechanisms and strategies that will enable them to deal with the low moods or low levels of anxiety that they experience rather than assuming because they're being told by social media, by the news, by everybody else, that there is a mental health pandemic on the way. We are, we are stood on the beach at the moment waiting for this wave to come across us and we don't know what that wave looks like. But if we're being told that it's huge, if we're being told that you are going to experience a mental health issue, then the expectation is you're just sat there waiting for it to happen. Don't do that. Early intervention is important. Speak to people, find ways of helping yourself. And if you realise that you're not able to do that, then pick up the phone, then speak to your GP, then speak to your EAP provider. Get some help when you need it. But there's a lot of work that you can do before that that will enable you to support yourself. That's brilliant, Carl. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I completely support that point about, you know, it comes back to self-awareness, self-empowerment, understanding, you know, turning down the noise and the distractions that you are being told consistently, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. Stop and ask yourself, is this, is this really how I'm feeling or is this just how I'm feeling now? How many times have I felt like this over the last week? Like you say, these, you know, there's a lot of great apps out there. There's a lot of great alternative support mechanisms and tools that you can provide yourself with to give you a well-being toolkit that you can draw on those resources from at any time. You know, things along the lines of we hear a lot about mindfulness, a lot about meditation, a lot about maximizing your sleep, um, you know, getting regular exercise, making sure, you know, even levels of dehydration can cause you to have low mood. You know, lack of sleep can cause you to have low mood. So it could potentially be that there are lots of stages that you can put in place within your life from your tool it to bring you back to a point of you know good mental and physical well-being without having to have the intervention um perhaps you know of a of a counseling service or your gp service or whatever it might be but what's really brilliant and, and what i hope that 
you know, employers across the UK um, and employees and colleagues and friends and family, I hope that, you know, we can really start to create that culture of self-empowerment, you know, of sharing our well-being stories that have helped us as individuals. You know, I share regularly with colleagues at Sodexo and, and probably too often sometimes about meditation, about my love affair with yoga, about the fact that, you know, I like to use, you know, nutritional supplements to help support my body to feel well. Um, because, of course, that all contributes to how, how your mind feels, how your emotions, how you feel as a human being, you know. And I think, you know, as you as you put it so beautifully there, it really comes down to the you know, individual empowerment, but also collectively as a as a human led collective first. And of course, as a from a, an employer and employee perspective to really ensure that we are having spaces created to simply have those conversations yeah, and really. to feel empowered enough to have those conversations, um, you know, and, and take them and have them signposted where they need to be, you know. Um, it's, it's probably time for us to, to almost call this to a, to a close, really, Carl. And I have, No, we're oh, having fun. I, <laughs> I have, I honestly, per, from a personal perspective, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you about this really important subject. And I feel totally honoured that I have been able to do so and I'd like to thank you for being so open and honest not only with your experiences from you as, as you know as representing Care First but also from you, from you as an individual and, and some of the insight that you've shared has been I'm sure really valuable but before we do finish what what would you say are you know sort of maybe three key things um, for our listeners to take away and potentially reflect on or indeed take back to to have conversations with within their industries and their organisations? I would say talk to people is the main thing. I know we've spoken about that a lot, but that's so so important. Don't be afraid of talking to them. It's okay to have a conversation, and don't be afraid of the answer that you might get. Um, it, it, it's fine. Uh, the other thing is there will be tools available for you. So many of the people listening to this today will have access to an EAP. Maybe it's Care First EAP. If it is, then there is an app available to you as well. We use My Possible Self. In that app, there is something called a mood meter. Now, the mood meter gives you the ability to be able to track your mood on a daily basis. It's a really good indicator of the times that you feel good and the times that you don't feel good. So that look at the days that you're not feeling so good and think about why that might be the case. It's the way keeping a diary, recognizing the things that make you feel the way that you do is so important to self-care and, and, and looking after yourself. And, and the last thing I'd say is expect change and don't be afraid of it brilliant carl that is a fantastic point to end on and i'd just like to say thank you again i, I hope um i hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as i have i hope our listeners um have really got something of value from our conversations today it was great to speak to you carl as always and and again thank you for sharing your thoughts and uh, and your insights you know, that's all we have time for today. And, and just a final note from me. Um, we know that mental health is an important topic for many employers um, and us collectively as humans sharing this experience. Um, please do remember that we are you are human first and, and everything else comes next. 
Um, we have a unique opportunity and a responsibility to create a culture for lasting change within ourselves, within the organisations we work in, and of course, within our families and our loved ones. And so, you know, this well-being, cultural and mental health awareness starts with you and it starts now. So I hope that you can commit to focusing on your own well-being and being part of a shared commitment of well-being for your colleagues um, and, of course, you know, for your employees as well. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening. And I wish you all the best and I hope you stay safe and well. Look forward to hopefully hearing from you all soon.